Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Toddcast Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at Toddcast Podcast. Hello? Nick. Hey, what's up? Hey, buddy. It's Todd Hancock here in Vancouver. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time here to join us. Of course. Of course, everybody is going to know you as a heel in the WWE, so I think we should probably start there. And then, of course, we'll get to the uh, stand-up comedian side of uh, what you're all about. What is your first wrestling memory? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, The first thing that I remember, the first show I ever went to was back in, uh, it was called WWF. I was five years old. Um, My dad took me, uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and we didn't even have an arena we had to drive out like an hour out of town to Richfield, to the Richfield Coliseum. And, um, I remember, I remember a tiny, a couple of still moments in my head, but I don't remember too much about the entire show. Um, there was, it was the heart foundation versus the British bulldogs in a steel cage. Okay. Um, and I remember it was Hulk Hogan versus Harley race in the main event. And I don't remember anything else. And we were miles away. There was no big trons back then. And you could barely tell who was in the ring. But uh, you knew like Hulk Hogan's music and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I, I had a blast. And uh, I, I, no joke, I told my dad, I go, hey, I want to be a wrestler. I want to do this. And um, he goes, okay. So in, like um, two, maybe two months later, I started just you know amateur wrestling just one day a week and just trying to learn it. And uh, I just got really into it. And my dad goes, this. I was very no no joke. Like I, I do some stand up jokes about it, but I went into amateur wrestling thinking it was WWE. And I walked in there and it was like, just, you know, people, you know, on, you know, no ring, no ropes, just people wrestling on a mat. And I was like, what is this? Mm. Um, but I, I got into it and I go, my dad goes, get good at this. And then you'll have a chance at that. So I stuck with it like all the way through college. Right. And so for right, right as a, as, as a kid and stuff, like which were the, the wrestlers that you were kind of idolizing? It was Hogan and, uh, and the British Bulldogs and all that, or? Of course, British Bulldogs, uh, Hulk Hogan, um, I really liked uh, Mr. Perfect and the Ultimate Warrior. And then um, as I got a little bit older, um, not, not old enough to be into Ric Flair, but at a, a very young age, uh, too young to be into Ric Flair because he was a cool, you know, and he had to understand, you know, know how wrestling was, understand how good he was at his job, and he was cool in the Four Horsemen. But right. I had an uncle that was really into the Four Horsemen, and he showed me stuff. Like before you start learning, before you're, you know, a teenager and supposed to start getting into cool stuff, I, I, and the inside, you know, in in the weeds kind of things, I was already into them at a young age. So I, you know, wanted to be Ric Flair Mm. and I wanted to follow in that. I wanted to be, you know, uh, you know, uh, a bad guy, but also looking good, looking great, looking cool. And, you know, being (laughs) the most important part of the match, uh, part of the most important part of the show. And no matter what, no matter where you were, what you did, like wanted it to be the best. So I got into flair probably 10 years before you're supposed to. Right. So, and for, for you personally, what's next for you in the wrestling world? Like how much longer can you continue the wear and tear on the body? Uh, in, in a very weird way, I've been, um, for the most part, ridiculously lucky injury wise. Like even if you're not injury prone, even if you, you know, uh, 
are careful every step of the way. You, you step the wrong way in one of those mats, you tear an ACL, you hurt a shoulder, you do something. And, right. uh, except for a concussion that kept me out for about a week and a half, two weeks once, um, I've been relatively injury-free. I, you know, I've been hurt a lot. I fought through, like, uh, I had uh, two pool groins at one point, but I was, uh, you know, this is eight, nine years ago when I was United States champ, but I was, you know, didn't want to, I wanted to fight through it, and I got through it, and just things like that to where you can play hurt and still be able to go, do, you know, be your best out there, so I stuck with stuff like that, but uh, I don't know, every couple of years I go, okay, maybe when we get to 40, we'll figure it out, mm-hmm. and then I go, I go, I, I feel better every day, I work out 350 days a year at least, um, I work wow. out every day, I usually work out in the ring, I, uh, I, I feel good, I, every couple of years I think I'm going like, here's the time where it's going to, you know, my back's going to be hurt, my neck's going to be sore, and of course it is <laughs> sore all the time. But not too much to where I can get, go get stretched out, see your chiropractor, do an hour of cardio, do, hit the weights for thirty minutes, and then that's it. You know, and save it up for the ring. So um, yeah. I, every couple of years, I got to reevaluate it. And the day the boss goes, "Hey, you know, you're missing a step. Hey, you're not doing that well. I'll get the hell out of here." But uh, that day sure as hell hasn't come yet. Yeah, interesting too, because of course, mere mortals, mortals like myself, you know, I can <laughs> have a shitty sleep and wake up and be sore for days. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, hey man, yeah. I, I and I'm no spring chicken, so I'm 39 years old. So sometimes right. I do wake up and get on a plane and then land and get in my house, and I go, oh, you know, it's the, the you know, back's tight and it hurts, and you know, you wrestled, you know, five nights in a row, then you flew coast to coast, and it's, of course it's going to hurt a little bit, but also I, I'm in that mindset of I know everyone's flying home and this is their day off. I make sure I get home guzzle a bunch of water, take a couple of vitamins and go hit the gym right away and go, okay, now I've accomplished this today when I know nobody else is. Now the rest of the day is mine to do as I please. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And would you ever consider getting into MMA like Brock Lesnar did? Uh, I mean, at my age, I don't think that it makes any sense. Uh, but I was a big, huge fan in high school. And uh, when UFC first started, back when I, you know, my friend of mine's older brother had the tapes of UFC 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Right, and, and they were uh, awesome. Was, oh, man, I was really, really into it. And uh, I, I remember, no joke, my, uh, my last year of high school, we went around the room in English class, and everyone was saying, what would you be doing in 10 years? And I was, this is probably 1998. So I, had, I said, I, I hope I can get this right, let's see. Uh, I retired on top in the WWE, hosted Saturday Night Live, went on to fight in MMA for three fights, retired, and then was coming back to my uh, my ten year reunion with like the Intercontinental Title or something, <laughs> some some kind of thing like that. I said, nice. and it was uh, everybody laughed, but I mean, I wasn't crazily off. But I, I at a younger age, I was into it. I, I boxed when I uh, I wrestled all year round because I went to uh, St. Edwards High School, which is an amazing. Like, I was. I was good enough to be on the team, but I wasn't one of the crazy star standouts. And uh, but that team was national champions uh, for the four years I was there, which is crazy for high school. Right. But they were really, really good, and we wrestled all year round. Uh, during our off season, I would I would go box in Cleveland, and I would do everything else. I'd play all the sports, and I was really just getting into MMA when you know it wasn't those gyms and classes everywhere. But I would watch, and I, I had a couple uh, really good coaches. Uh, Tadaki Hata coached um, the women's Olympic team, and he would roll around with me. And there was a couple guys that, oh, cool. that wrestled at St. Ed's, and you know we we wouldn't throw strikes in the face, but we would try and tap each other out and stuff. And it was really fun after practice. So I, I've always been a huge fan. And anytime Brock's in there, or 
uh, Stipe Mayosik from Cleveland. Uh, he wrestled at Cleveland State when I wrestled at Kent. So like we, our teams went against each other. So I follow him around. So it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool, very cool. You have over six million people following you online. <laughs> does it <laughs> does it ever get to be too much? Oh my god! Uh, no, no, of course not. Uh, I, I'm lucky. It, it's a weird. It's a weird world because uh, I'm one of those. My generation grew up without social media right. and with social media, and we can kind of turn it off. I know uh, I, we laugh sometimes, but there's there's young kids who, if you're getting bullied at school. And then sometimes you go home and you go on social media, you're getting bullied there, and it doesn't end 24 hours a day, and that is something they have to live with. And it's, we do so many different things about kids getting bullied online, and it's a real bummer that it exists, but it does, yeah, it and sucks. it's everywhere. Yeah. But I had like that life before cell phones to where I went and played till it was dark outside, and then came inside and ate and went to bed, like, mm-hmm. and I watched a little TV or something, but... I can turn it on and turn it off, and I'm very, very lucky. I use social media to promote shows, like comedy shows, wrestling shows, appearances, uh, and fun Q&As because I like to interact with the fans and let them know I'm not just the guy that goes out there and wrestles for five minutes. Sometimes, you know, I I have a brain, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's fun to just make jokes. So I'm very lucky to where I don't take it seriously. I have fun. I put people in their place. But usually I am there to joke around, which... By the way, until 2016, that's what Twitter used to be for, joking around and <laughs> right. reading news, and now it is just everybody fighting with each other, which is fine, as long as you still don't take that seriously, but there's so many grown-ups, so many that take it so seriously that they probably go to bed thinking about someone that made them mad, and I go to bed smiling, thinking I can't wait to get on there again. Yeah, yeah, well said. All right, let's go down this uh, stand-up comedy path. Uh, you know, Dolph Ziggler, everybody knows you from the WWE. Then you start to get into stand-up comedy. It's over five years now, isn't it? That's, that's a little misleading, though. It's probably been four or five years, but those first two years, I probably did two or three shows total. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I don't get a chance to, to get those reps in at the... Uh, uh, at too many like open mics or small shows or just go up there. But once it, I, you know, I handful of open mics where I tucked my hair into my hat and said I was Nick and I was just talking about my trip to, Ch- to Chipotle or at the gym or something. Yeah. But uh, I so because I try and learn as much as I can. But with WWE, we have this following and there's a lot of people that want to come see you know out of your element or doing something fun. And I totally. And not only that, I owe them. You know that they've come to know me as someone who kind of sets the bar and fueling the show all the time. So I don't want to not put on a great show for them. So I pace around my house. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I do everything I can. I, I try jokes out on Twitter. I have, I do everything I possibly can to make those shows fun. And, uh, I've been very lucky. A lot of times I, uh, team up with Sarah Tiana and she is a pro for like 20 years now. Right. And, uh, she has me under her wing. I get to learn, you know, some timing of things. So I'm getting my reps in. I throw things by her. She calls all the shots, and I go out there, and we have a blast. And since we have this like good camaraderie, our Q and A is either on the roast battle on Comedy Central, and people love that part more than anything. So it's it's about improv and having fun and roasting and joking, but also me getting my stage time so I can get better. Yeah, getting your chops up. Is is there anything from the wrestling world that you you were able to bring into stand up comedy? Oh, absolutely, because, uh, you know, as, as nervous as I am when I go up there, which I'm very nervous, but, you know, I go really? over my notes for weeks and months ahead of time and hours, and that whole day I'm just going over things and rewriting, and and it, the best is I, I've narrowed, you know, I went from, I, I have four pages on stage of notes down to two pages, and then I eventually got to one page, and now I just have a couple bullet points, 
And it, now you start wording things, not like not memorizing them, but just knowing you have to get to a certain point. And sometimes there'll be someone's cell phone will ring, and that part, like the the, the improvs and the, the the zingers and the heckling and the interactions with people are so different every single show. And I kind of excel when it comes to improv or having a quick joke for somebody because I'm pretty good at it anyway. Right. Uh, that tends to be where I'm a little bit better than you know. I need to get 5,000 reps in to be good at comedy, but I can kind of weasel my way in, you know, having control of the mic, having a good time, knowing that they're there to have fun and I'm there to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And you're rolling through Vancouver pretty quick, actually, on the 4th of December. Yeah. The comedy right tour. The with, yes, right around the corner for uh, the Rio Theater, which is, is going to be great. Which comedians do you look up to? Like, which comics make you howl? Man, there, there, there's, a, there's so many, and there's so many that, uh, I grew up watching, you know, Saturday Night Live in the 80s and yeah. 90s, and there's guys like Bill Burr, uh, David Spade, I'm a huge fan of his, and I, I tend to sometimes, when I write a joke, sometimes it's in the same vein of, like, something he would say, and I, you know, I'm trying to find my own voice, but we, you know, sometimes we gravitate for the same way a lot of people make, you know, dating jokes about the two of us in similar situations, so I understand, but yeah. it, it's really funny that uh, I, I, I studied comedy for years. Um, I've been filling up notebooks for about 10 years now, and they're just, I have stacks of them, and I go over them. And, but I grew up, I mean, I, George Carlin, I was a huge fan of. Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles. I used to listen to these old one-liner. Uh, I had a friend make it onto a, a, a blank CD back when those existed, and I would just play it over and over uh, on my, my one single-player Walkman when I was running on the treadmill or something, losing weight in college. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I looked up to all those people, and, uh, I've even, uh, John Lovitz once hosted, um, WWE raw and I talked to him for a little bit and we've become so, like friends somewhat mm. to where I've gone to see his shows. He's come to see wrestling and it's just picking people's brains and having fun and just being able to talk with some people that, you know, are busting their butt just like you are to get better every day. It's, it's you, you tend to gravitate toward those people because you want to be great like they are. Mm-hmm. So, so when we come to the Rio Theater here in Vancouver on the fourth of December, is there anything that you don't touch? You're like, I'm not, I'm not getting. Oh no, you there. know what? And no, not really. Like, I won't bring up any. I, I, here's the best part about it. Like, one, if you know me, I, I tend to do a lot of double entendres jokes on Twitter or whatever. But you know, yeah. keep it PG, PG thirteen. But uh, I, I don't work blue. I do a clean show, and I want to be good at this. And I've been practicing. You know. I don't want to have the easy sex joke or something. I, I well, bust my butt for it. But, the the blue is uh, easier. Uh, blue, blue is way easier because with WWE, I, I learned really quickly. Like we, you know, we have social media. They follow what we do. There's little kids on there. And I used to, in my head, the first, I have a quick mind and a lot of it goes to, you know, dirty jokes sometimes that grew up reading those books. Uh -huh. But uh, I'll come, and it'll force me to go. Okay, here's it's at rated R right now. I got to get it to PG, PG thirteen, and it makes me rework it and rewrite it, and it makes me smarter and a better joke writer. So it's been giving me that practice without getting the reps, and then I and then it comes down to a few days later, a few weeks later, I have a better joke than the quick sex joke that everybody else had. You know, right, right, right. Instantly, and it makes me you know that process, and I just keep writing and writing. And constantly making it better and trying to make it great. Uh, but when it comes to that Q and A, I, I'm, my favorite part of this is it's almost like a it's uh, I call when I do a Q and A on Twitter an ask the heel. 
So I, I'm down <laughs> nice. for anything they want. Even if something sounds totally out of bounds, yeah. I'll either make a joke about it or a reference to it or say, I'm not touching that, and then make some, like, a wink and a joke or something. But that's my favorite part is because it's off the cuff. I'm quick. I'm fast. I've been doing PR for WWE for 15 years, so you're not going to – they're not going to slip me up, but you're going to get a great response. And that's, that, that Q&A is what everyone says is like their favorite part of the show because it's, a, it's a really fun for me and the fans. Right on. Well, looking forward to it uh, December 4th again at the Rio Theater. And uh, props to Andrew with uh, Got Pop Productions for uh, setting this interview up. I do, Absolutely. That's very cool, man. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I, I do want to be respectful of your time. I said I'd be maybe 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I would love to get outside of wrestling and, and comedy and, of course, what you're known for, uh, if you're cool with that, just for a few. Sure. What was the music in your house as a kid growing up? Like, what are your parents playing you? Oh, uh, let's see. That's a great question. Uh, my dad liked uh, The Doors, uh, you know, uh, Steppenwolf, some rock and roll stuff. Um we are a family that starts the Christmas music a little bit early, so, or Boxing Day for you guys. But, yeah, we, we started a little bit early. I've been, uh, for about a week and a half now, I've been playing it, which is, you know, you're supposed to wait till Thanksgiving. But Of course. Uh, we do, yeah, Apple Lives and uh, Elvis Presley. We, we start playing those anytime November 1st. I, I don't want to say that I have a very small palm tree, almost like along the lines of a, a Corona commercial, but a miniature palm tree, one with Christmas lights on it. But I'm looking at it right now, and it's lit up. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to say it, but I will say it. Yeah. What was your first concert? Uh, my first concert. My mom took me to see Michael Jackson in 1984. Wow. And uh, I don't really remember it. I re- all I remember we were a mile away from the stage, and I remember the lights went down, and there was a spotlight, and it was him standing there, and then he threw a rose into the crowd, and everybody don't like. Imagine that wedding where they where they toss the bouquet, but with up fifty thousand people diving for it. And I remember <laughs> right. that happening. And I think he started playing "Beat It," and then that's all I remember. I was like four and a half years old. Uh, but I, I've uh, since then I, I've been bouncing around. I've, I've got, really got into rock and roll. I got into Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. and uh, I just saw Guns N' Roses a couple weeks ago, and they they are they rock. They how, go almost three how hours long. Tour? I mean, it's so good. I mean, they played the, the BC Place here in Vancouver, and dude, it was incredible there, there's no like it's crazy axel's so much better than he was 15 years ago right and uh they play for three hours they rock everybody hits their stuff there's it's so fun a sides b sides covers and axel his voice sounds amazing and I, of course i lose my voice singing along because i don't know what the hell i'm doing <laughs> right and what did you think of the motley crew movie uh motley crew is great uh my because i'm such a hardcore fan of theirs i'm bummed that, like that book if oh, you, the book you is, made that, yeah, man. Like they're, it's, they're, it's unreal. Yeah, right? they're they're the band for me. Like I have a star on yeah. my hand, tattooed on my hand because of you know Tommy Lee. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. They yeah. rock so hard. Like that book should have been a six-hour movie or like Easy. ten one-hour totally. uh, Netflix episodes or something. And they cut that down to ninety minutes, and I don't even know how they did that. I have but, no idea. But yeah. My yeah. friends were all like, yeah, that Ozzy Osbourne thing, Snort Nance is crazy. I'm like, dude, there's 700 more stories like that, but there was no time to put them in. Like, read the, I read that book every, maybe every year and a half or so, just because it's, it's so good. For two weeks, just to reread it, it's, it's wild. Yeah. It, it really is, yeah. Uh, do you get into the, the superhero movies? What's your favorite superhero movie they've Ooh, made? I really don't, but a long time ago, a friend of mine told me, uh, he goes, I know you're not into any of this stuff, 
Mm. He goes, but watch Iron Man, the Dude. first one. Yeah. He goes, you'll like it. The guy drinks. He's like, he's drinks, and he flirts with girls the whole time. He's like, you're going to love it. I'm like, all right, great. And I watched it, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I've seen, I don't think I've seen any of the other movies ever. Mm. This was like 15 years ago. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're not my thing, but I know they, they crush and oh, I man. Think, Break records every couple months or something. Yeah. yeah, so many people love it, yeah. Here's an oddball question for you. Do you believe that aliens have visited Earth? You know what? That's a great question. Holy cow. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know. All I know is I- I'm into news and politics, and I read it all day long, and there's a really funny thing that happened. A guy from Blink-182 yeah. said, uh, Travis hey. Parker. No, not Travis. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tom DeLonge. He goes, hey, here's some proof of aliens. Right. And the FBI or CIA go, yeah, we think that's aliens. And we're so jaded that six hours later, we weren't even discussing it in the news. And he went, what? And yeah. like, anyway, this happened in the White House. They're like, wait, did we just say aliens were real? Like, we have proof? Like, it's crazy. That's how fast that news cycle it used to go from a week to 24 hours. Now it's like six or 12 hours and yeah. gone. A couple thoughts later. What a wild world. It, it really is. I mean, it, it, can you take into consideration that, you know, the, the fighter jet pilots that have seen, you know, like a, a, a literally a UFO whipping through the sky at Mach 5 and then <laughs> take a, take a right hand turn and, you know, like we don't have that technology. What, what's going on here, right? It's crazy, man. There's so crazy. much unexplained stuff. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm a big reader and I, uh, for, a, I did like a, maybe a couple of Christmases ago where I just kept every week getting these like. Tales of the unexplained, like from like the 1800s and 1900s, and okay. I really get into like some psychic helping the police find a murderer, and and just them showing up somewhere in Antarctica and finding just all like no explanation of a missing entire you know, 2,000 person group of people just totally missing with a campfire still going and all I know, these unexplained right? things. Like what? It's so wild, and it's, if you if you do it at you know late at night. I like to read before I go to bed, and sometimes it you know, makes me want to lock the door a little bit tighter when I go to bed. You know, yeah, funny. like even watch those uh, shows that are talking about their Bermuda Triangle and how you know hundreds of planes have gone down, and like they're not finding anything from these wreckages. And like, how does that? How does that happen? <laughs> there's so much unexplained stuff. Yeah, I, it's, and there's and whether there's unexplained or someone covering it up. Or a little bit of both. Probably that happens both. everything. I mean, we're we're starting to find that out that now you know for two hundred years everything politically has been somehow on some back channel of somebody else from some <laughs> shell company into some other thing, which we always assumed. But now we have like paper trails because it's you know the two thousands and it's you just go if yeah. they were lying about this tiny little donation that someone made twenty five years ago. Where are the aliens? You know? <laughs> exactly. When you find the time to, you know, watch TV or, or whatever, what are you binge watching if you find the time? Um, you know, um, I, I, I almost don't watch any of those Netflix shows or anything. I, uh, Archer was a show that I really yeah. liked. It was a cartoon. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man, that's and, one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, Archer season one, <laughs> I, I can watch once every six months and, and die laughing going, this oh, is so smart so and man. funny and sexy and everything you can think of. And yeah. I'm blown away at how good that first season was. You uh, know, it's the, unreal. the guy that does the, the Bob, uh, the, uh, Bob's burger is also, uh, Archer. Did you know? Oh that? yeah, of course. Yeah. Andy's on family guy. Oh, Andy's, Andy's on family the that's right. guy. Yeah. 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 Well, let me hey, hit you. John Benjamin. He had a strong time. Yes. For a bit. That's his name. Yes. Ah man, I'd love to talk to that guy. I'll, oh, I would just—I just like hearing his voice. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I'll wrap it up with a with another semi odd oddball one. 
what are your thoughts on legalized marijuana? Just came to uh, Canada well, last year. That's, that's a big man. I, I've been looking at that stock-wise for years. Right. Uh, well, not years. I want to say a year and a half or so going, man, this is going to, this is slowly, it's, it's very similar because I, I, I watch the news and I watch politics and you go, it, it's, it's, it seems like it's been forever, but you're like, you see like gay marriage finally became legal and you're like, wow, this seems like it was forever ago, but it wasn't too long ago and you're watching mm-hmm. that happen and then you watch uh, marijuana be like every six months or a year, they're like another state, another place here and it's it's pretty wild and I go, there's so many uh, studies out there that help like veterans with PTSD and people going through cancer and you go, totally. why isn't this stuff readily available? All the red tape works and yeah. all the things like that. Anything that can help people and if you, uh, a lot of the studies say that that's, you know, best for everybody and that takes all the black market stuff. Right. You know, can get the medicine they need. I mean, I, it, it's hard to find some negative to that other than you're, you're really stuffy and religious and you're 80 years old or something. <laughs> but even then, <laughs> even then, I mean, the 80-year-old people who are in some pain, you know, if they can get over the stigma that they had when they were, you know, right. kids or adults, they go, it, for the most part, it helps almost everybody out. Uh, it is not my... Thing. Uh, be, uh, be, one, we test at work, but also it's not my thing anyway. But right. I, it, it's hard to find somewhere like a reason unless somebody has some great study to show me, and I'm open to it to be like, here's why we shouldn't do it. And you go, okay, other than you're just like, I don't like it. Right. Or and, and 200 course, years ago, there was a smear campaign against it to keep uh, tobacco on top, and you're like, okay, so yeah. now what do we do? You know? Yeah, yeah. And and as you're a, a professional wrestler, I wonder how how many of your colleagues are in the same situation like a UFC fighter or a Bellator fighter where they'll use CBD oils, you know, right. after the fights to, to recoup their body quicker. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I'm, so, I'm always open for supplements or anything that can happen. And I think CBD is okay. Yeah. But I, I think most of the time, uh, and like the dispensaries and things, the CBD that people enjoy the most are the ones that are like, Oh, I see all the effects happening. You know, if it's not a placebo is when it's CBD, infused with actual marijuana so like i i get it and uh i'm sure once i think when we do some more studies on it and it becomes more legalized and the states start making more money like colorado is here and then everybody starts you know everyone gets their piece of it uh with all the red tape and everything like that i think long term i think we'll start opening up like if that's helping people out and if that's helping someone's career go a, a year longer than it would have like what are the negative effects, you know? Right, right, exactly. Dude, thank you again for taking the time here of to course, join us. Uh, yeah. The Toddcast in Vancouver, Canada. Online, you are simply at Heel Ziggler for both Twitter and Instagram. Absolutely, and uh, I'm really excited. Like, I, I'm so, like, I, I like making my own shirts and making my own sweatshirts and hoodies and hats when I do these shows, and we're doing Vancouver, and in a couple months, we're going to do a couple more cities in Canada. Uh, oh, I nice. got, like... Canadian tour merchandise that I'm bringing with me. I'm wearing the hoodie right now because I just got it in right in time. And uh, I'm really excited for it. One, like, the shows are fun. The VIP meet and greet is that like, you get to get one-on-one time with me, which I love. And that, that Q&A is what everyone uh, really, really likes. And uh, I'll have my brother with me. Oh, nice. who, uh, he's out in L.A. doing, you know, he does stand-up and he does improv. He does uh, Upright Citizens for Gay Characters and stuff. So he'll be hosting the Q&A and doing some fun characters with us. So it's going to be a really fun time. And uh, the first show him and I together, so I'm really excited about it. Oh, very cool. Right on, yeah. dude. All right, well, we'll see you there for the uh, for the comedy tour, in again, in Vancouver, December 4th at the Rio Theater. Uh, and then otherwise, I guess we'll see you online. It sounds good, man. Uh, let me know how this goes, and uh, pass me the link when you post it. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.